My name is Gigi, and this is Red Tent Women, a podcast about women, for women, or anyone who wants to listen. In this space, we talk all things women. Join me on a journey to rediscovering the way we look at women. Let's rewrite the dialogue and change the world we live in for the better. One conversation at a time. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Red Tent Women. I don't suspect this is going to be the smoothest sailing of recordings today. Um, I usually record in my room, however, um, my room faces the west side of the house and uh, it's hot. (laughs) Let's just say that. It is hot. That hot summer sun is beating down. So I am in the common area of the house where the fish tank is, and you will probably be hearing that trickle, trickle, trickle in the background. Um, and no, it does not need water. We just we just put water in there. My mom always says, if you hear a trickling fish tank, it means that there's there's needs to be water in it. And um, well, it's full. Also, <clears throat> I am so so apologetic for again another episode, I have a frog in my throat. I don't know what it is about recording these episodes and suddenly my throat getting full of phlegm. So there will be a lot of clearing of my throat. And if I don't clear my throat, this is what you hear, a very scratchy voice. Ooh, that's gonna, that's gonna be frustrating for me. Um, my perfectionist is not... My perfectionist side is not going to like that too much. Um, Also, because I am not in my room with my door closed to be able to lock out the cats, it means there might be some interruptions by cats climbing over keyboards and things like that. I'm trying to keep them off the table as best I can, but they're cats. And any cat owners out there know that you cannot discipline a cat. It is nearly impossible. So... There may be some interruptions of this episode. Man, that clearing of the throat is really going to bug me. I need this phlegm to clear up. Um, Yeah, so today's podcast. um, I don't really have a specific idea or goal uh, that I want to hit or reach or a specific topic. Um, I have a few ideas, some inspiration, um a beautiful YouTuber that I have just discovered who's been on the platform for a while, but I recently just discovered her in the last day or two. Um, I want to share, um, I want to share her. I want to talk about her and anyone listening. I highly encourage checking her out. I will talk more about that later. Um, just kind of what's been on my mind, the new podcast that I've been listening to that has really been helping me sort of come to terms with being a racist white person. Um, That's really hard for me to say because I, as a white woman, have never really thought of myself as being racist um, or encouraging racism um, because I like to think of myself as an empath. I mean, it's the whole purpose of this podcast. I like to think of myself who's on the side of change, consistent change, growth, things like that. But I've been listening to this podcast and um, 
it's it's hosted by a white woman, but she has been an activist for gosh over twenty years, and she has been studying shame for the last twenty years. She. Uh, I'm not really sure what her official title is, but I know that she studies human behavior and things like that and has been an activist for a long time. And she's been bringing on black guests and talking about things. And, you know, it reminds me of um, Stuff Mom Never Told You, if anyone's heard that podcast before, um, about a year ago, I would say. Uh maybe a year and a half ago, they had an episode where they brought on a, a woman talking about racism in this country. And something she said really just made me kind of revolt in a way, like jerk, like, oh God, no, that's not me. But she basically said that every single white person is racist. <laughs> blanket statement every single white person is racist and she said that any white person listening to this will get really defensive of that statement and I certainly was and at the time I was just like how how can you say that you know that is such a generalization that is so unfair you know and and that was my white privileged brain sort of speaking in my mind and to an extent, it's true. I mean, there's all different kinds of forms of racism as we know now. Um, there's, you know, the racism that we're dealing with mostly today, which is, um, you know, sort of this silent racism. Um, and, you know, systematic racism. And then there's also the racism that we learn about in our textbooks with the lynching and the murdering and the slavery and the, you know, the segregation and all that stuff. But overall, this country, I'm so sorry, I'm shaking. (laughs) I have all my cases on the table and my table is very wobbly, apparently. Um, Overall, I think most Americans can agree with this statement that you know, the kind of racism we learn about in our textbooks is pretty much dying out. Not to say it doesn't exist. There's still, you know, neo-Nazi type people out there who want to murder black people simply for the color of their skin. But overall, that's kind of died out. (laughs) Like, you will be severely punished by our system for being that way. Um, In hope. Now, the police obviously they're kind of the exception to that rule as we're as we're seeing you know all these videos surfacing and and police brutality and all that stuff but you know with police br- police aside um overall our country has definitely moved in the positive direction of saying hey knock that off it's not cool to kill someone because of the color of their skin Um, which is why this whole thing is happening because the police for some reason get to be the exception to that rule and the rest of us are going, hey, wait a minute, if we're getting punished for being a dick, um, then why aren't you? Why aren't we holding our police to that same standard? You know, so that's kind of what this is about. Um, but this episode of, of Stuff Mom Never Told You really just, did exactly what she said it was going to do. It was going to trigger me. I was going. I got defensive. Um, even the um, I forget the girls' names. Bridget, I think, is the black girl, who's the 
just awesome grows out her armpit hair the whole thing I follow her on Instagram and I I adore her um and then uh, I can't remember the girl the newest addition to stuff mom never told you um I can't remember her name was it her was it the previous girl I can't even remember. I don't even remember if this was like a throwback episode because sometimes they play those. Um, the white girl in the interview um, got very defensive and and acknowledged that and was like, hey, so I'm white and I'm getting defensive. So like, let's talk about this. Um, and it really was an educational, you know, podcast episode. Um And black people have for years and years and years now been trying to talk to us, been trying to reach out to us, been trying to educate us. And now it's kind of like, okay, all this information is out there. You know, they've had about over a decade now of being able to communicate online and tell their stories and everything. And we've simply just decided to look the other way. Now, as we all know, anything that you put online doesn't disappear, So just go out and Google it. Look for it. Look for those stories. Um, They're out there. You know, it's not on black people to sympathize or empathize towards us or educate us. I mean, (laughs) no, it's our responsibility. And I've said that, I think, multiple times on this podcast. And I think I said that in in one of the previous episodes um, where I was talking to my to my girlfriends, you know, um, I fully understand that, you know, it's my job to go out (laughs) and listen and learn and deal with my shame. That's what this is. And um, I'm actually going to look up the podcast that I'm listening to. Oh, man, my phone's not on me. Oh, that sucks. I do know that the host's name is Brene. I think it's like opening minds with Brene or something like that. Man, that really sucks. My phone's, why is my phone not on me? When is, when is my phone not on me? When is this ever okay? (laughs) Oh, the one time. Actually, you know what? I can look it up on my computer. I can look up the last thing I was listening to on Spotify via, uh, you're going to hear some clicking because I'm I'm on my computer because I really want to share this podcast because for white women listening it has been a true like crutch (laughs) um you know she is a white woman addressing white people like you know just so well and you know how to deal with things and um it's called unlocking us by Brene Brown or hosted by Brene Brown um and the episode I was listening to last she was interviewing her friend um Austin Channing who is a black woman um who's also written a book that I would very much like to read (laughs) um and I haven't quite finished the episode it's a little over an hour and I've been kind of coming in and out of it all day today but oh gosh, am I obsessed with this podcast because the first episode I listened on was her most recent episode she posted on July 1st and it's called uh, Shame and Accountability and she talks about, 
it's okay to feel shame, but feeling shame and being shameful are two different things. Um, And she talks about how our society is really just putting the shame and laying on the shame on white people. And she talks about actual studies and things that she has learned because she's been studying shame and performing her own, um, her own sort of experiments on, on shame. Um, this, this is her topic. This is what she knows best about is shame. This is what she's been studying for 20 years. So I'm going to trust the source when it comes to talking about shame. And she used this example of a child or just a student. Um, and the teacher basically, you know, going through papers and saying, turning to the class and saying, who didn't put their name on this assignment? I'll give you one guess. I give everybody one guess as to who it is who didn't put their name on this assignment. Susan, put your name on your assignment and just kind of going off. And how even when she was telling that story, which was which was a real thing that happened that she experienced, this, this, uh, this woman, Brene, um, how she used to role play it with people to in front of her seminars and things like that. And she realized that she could no longer role play it and she had to just have an empty seat um, because it would trigger people. It would send them back to a time where they felt tremendous shame, where they were being shamed. And what happens is that when you are being shamed, you shut down. You don't want to take accountability. You don't want to progress. You don't want to learn, you know, because you're associating shame, you know, that's who you are, right? She talks about, you know, parenting. You know, if you tell a lie to your parents and get caught, you know, an unhealthy way of dealing with that and shaming the child is saying you're a liar. And so now that child associate them, associates themselves with being a liar and they can never do any better and they can't progress because they are a liar. Versus if that parent said, you are a good person and I expected so much more from you and I don't appreciate that you lied about this thing. I know you can do better. You're a good person and this family doesn't stand for those morals, doesn't stand for lying. Do better. The difference in those two approaches, you're giving the child space to understand, hey, I messed up and this isn't something, this behavior isn't something that my parents condole. And so I'm going to improve. Versus saying, you're a liar. Now that child doesn't have anywhere to grow. Because now instead of it being a behavioral attack, you know, behavior can be changed and improved upon. Now it's a personal attack. Now it's an identifier. And now that you've been identified as a liar, you can't fix the behavior because it's not a behavior. It's, it's a characteristic. And I see that happening on white people on social, to white people on social media of this, and I don't see it 
too much from the black community, frankly. I I personally have been seeing the black community being very patient and understanding, which they don't have to be. So thank you so much to all of the black people who are really being patient and empathetic. Um Frankly, we don't necessarily deserve that, but I am so very grateful for it. Um, I'm seeing it more from other people of color on white people or white people to other white people. Um, This sort of shaming of you are a racist, you are a bad person versus, hey, You did some behaviors that are kind of racist and there's definitely room for improvement and here's how we can improve. It's the language. Um, Because a society living shamefully is not going to change. I mean, for example, this is another example Brene gave. You know, when a... A person decides to go out and party all night and get super hammered and they're so hungover, hungover the next day that they they miss their big meeting at work. Um, so they get there and whether they're chewed out by their boss or not, you know, there's two ways that your inner dialogue can approach this. One You are so stupid. How could you do this? You are so stupid. You are a loser. There's nothing good about you. How could you do this? I'm guilty of this uh, inner dialogue. (laughs) I'm very guilty of this inner dialogue, which is very shameful. This shameful dialogue. Or you can say, hey, what you did was not cool and we can do better. That behavior, I, I don't condone that. That does not match up to our morals. What are you doing? Like, let's, let's grow. Let's improve. The first is attacking self, attacking your integrity, attacking your person, right? Your own person. How can you grow from that? There's no space for it because now you're just a bad, terrible person. And what's the point in trying? The second is attacking the behavior. You can't necessarily change the person, but you can change the behavior, right? Um, And so that's kind of what I see, you know, as another example, it's what I see happening, you know, in the white community. You know, there's there's people denying it, which is another, you know, response to shame um people denying it people saying no that's not true that's not me look I have a husband who's black I have a wife who's black I have a I have a cousin I have a a friend I have a co-worker you know disassociating yourself and saying look I'm friends with these people these people are part of my life I'm not racist how can I be racist I love these people. Well, you know, what Austin said (laughs) in the interview of the episode that I'm I'm listening to as of current, um, that's not doing the work. You know, being friends with somebody is the easy part. 
you know, she made a really good point. She said, you know, if I decided to just disappear off the face of the planet, if I decided to move to, to New Zealand, not talk to anybody ever again, not post anything on online, not write any letters, not take any phone calls, not answer any texts, just disappear, live in New Zealand on a hill out in the boonies. If I decided to do that, my white friends, because of the people that I've chosen to be my friends, my white friends will continue to be activists and continue to fight the fight because they view me as a person, not as their black friend. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to get any confusion in here in saying that, you know, bringing up the whole I don't see color thing. She's not saying that. She's not saying that her friends don't recognize her color of, of being black. But what she's saying is, is that her her blackness isn't her identifier. Her identifier is that she's a human being and her friends love her so much that they realize and see that she's a human being and see that it takes activism to make the world a better place for human beings like her. And that was really moving because for, I think, a lot of us, we excuse ourselves from having to do the work or having to acknowledge our own racism because, look, I have this really close person in my life who's a person of color. Therefore, I'm not racist. And I think I've been very guilty of this in my life because I have been so very fortunate to have had parents who, you know, made us travel the world. I mean, I lived in Germany as a child and we traveled all over Europe while we lived there. Um, I had an uncle who was from Mexico who was extremely influential on my upbringing and my life to the point where I was put in a Spanish immersion program to learn Spanish and to learn about the culture because he was my uncle and he felt that I needed to know the culture because I was inheriting it because he was my uncle. <laughs> um, and we were very, very close. And, you know, I would I had gone to Mexico with him for my abuelita's 100th birthday. Um, back in 2004. So she's long gone by now, but that was some part of side note. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate enough that growing up, I had a lot of Mexican friends. And then when I went into my middle slash high school, middle school slash high school, it was an extremely diverse school. Um, as you had heard in the previous podcast where we were, where the, the three of us, my girlfriends were talking about what it was like going to that school. Um, and because of it, my lifelong friends <laughs> are extremely diverse from all different backgrounds. Um, my closest family friends, my mom's best friend and her husband are both black. And so I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, wow, I have all these people of color in my life to influence me, to help me grow, right? And to point out the things I do wrong when they are a little ignorant. And for most, you know, I've only been an adult for about six years. So for most of my life, I've been an adolescent. <laughs> I'm still very young. I'm 24 years old. You know, so for the majority of that time, I had the excuse of, 
being an adolescent and not quite being exposed to the ways of the world because I was sheltered by my adults in my life, right? Well, I've had six years. <laughs> and boy, howdy, has it been a ride. Um, you know, but looking back, it's not their responsibility to tell me what is right or wrong. It is the responsibilities of my elders to bring me up to understand how to decipher right from wrong. And frankly, I think I'm luckier than most because I think I had a a very strong upbringing. Um, But as an adult, I can no longer turn to those people to say, hey, defend me. I'm a good person, right? And of course, they all think I'm a good person because, you know, they're influential people who love me and, and I love them. But that having colored people in my life, people of color in my life, does not make me the exception. And Brene has done a wonderful job of helping me cope and deal with that shame that I love these people so much, but what have I done to enhance their lives? I mean, they've done so much to enhance mine. What have I really done to enhance theirs? You know, in private, I've always talked about civil rights and my feelings on racism. And, you know, a lot of my beliefs come from the fact that I have people of color in my life offering different perspectives. And I am a very impressionable person. And I know that about myself. Um, And because I know that about myself, I also try to block bad juju, (laughs) bad energy and bad messages from my life as well. And I think I've gotten really good at deciphering you know, based on energy, what's a good message and what's a bad message. So when it comes to good messages and positivity, I'm very impressionable. And I always have been. Um, My opinion changes constantly. And I think it's, you know, at least in my family, that can be very frustrating because in my family, everyone is very stern and this is my opinion. I stand by it. And here I am kind of wish-washy on things. And I think the biggest part is because I'm a listener. (laughs) I'm a really big listener. You know, but all I've done my entire life is listen and listen and listen, which is not a bad thing. But I'm hearing the stories. I'm hearing the hurt. And I'm not doing anything to prevent it from happening in the future. I'm not using my white privilege, my white voice to change, to progress the environment around us, the community around us. And that's, I think, where my shame comes from. Now, I want to make it very, very clear. When I say my white voice, I'm not trying, and if I am, I would love to be called out on it, but my intention is not to speak over voices of color to speak for them. You know, that's not my intention. And I really hope that I haven't been doing that 
Um, but if I have, I would love to be called out on it because I, I want to be aware of when and where I'm doing it in what situations I'm doing it. But I'm trying very, very hard to be silent when it's necessary and to speak up when it's needed. And, you know, the fact of the matter is black people can't do all the change on their own because black people don't run the society. White people do. So it's up to us white people to help with the progression of change. You know, when it comes to our voices, hand over the mic, hand it on over. Let's amplify these black voices. Let's amplify voices of color. Let's listen to their stories. But when it comes to changing the system, it's going to take actions from white people. Actions, not words, actions. (laughs) And we get those two confused a lot. And what I'm seeing is a lot of white people telling black people how they should feel, how they should think, how they should be responding to the situation. I was talking to my sister the other day. Um, she, she's also been feeling rather lost in what to do, how to respond, when to stay silent, when to speak up. It's been very challenging. Um, nowhere near <laughs> the challenge of the upbringing of black people in the world that they, they grew up in. Nowhere near that. But it's still been challenging nonetheless. And um, she was talking to a coworker, um, and I could be butchering the story because I wasn't there. This is something my sister told me. But she was talking to a coworker about the BLM movement. And I don't really remember how it came up. She told me the whole story. I'm, I only remember bits and pieces. Um, but she was saying that her coworker felt like his voice was gone. A black man, this movement started because of the murder of a black man. And this black man is still feeling like he doesn't have a voice because now he's being told by white people how he should feel and how he should act. And white people deciding who to cancel. (laughs) You know, that's frustrating for him. And I I can imagine it is. It's frustrating for me, and I'm a white person. I can imagine how frustrating it is for for someone like him. And my heart goes out to him. You know, I I really hope that that white people do wise up to their shame. Even active white people in the BLM movement, every single one of us have some sort of percentage of racism in us it's not our fault I mean it is but I mean individually it's not our fault we were raised in a racist system we were brought up in a racist system we were 
subconsciously taught certain behaviors that the system said were okay and now we're learning aren't, right? Overall, it's white people's fault. But individually, you know, if you're an active white person who is standing up for change and standing up for anti-racist laws and social change and things like that, it's not your fault necessarily for the things that you have done in the past. Yes, take responsibility now because to an extent it is your fault. <laughs> this isn't really making any sense. I'm not really sure how to how to word this. As a society, as a whole, it is white people's fault. We're the oppressors. We're the ones who had the slaves. We're the ones who wanted segregation. We're the ones who did the lynching. Um, and now we're the ones that have slavery in prisons. Think about that. <laughs> um, so it is our fault. But individually, yes, take accountability. For sure. Definitely take accountability. But we also have to be empathetic towards ourselves you know if if we're living in this shameful mindset remember what I said at the beginning of the podcast if we're living in this shameful mindset we're attacking ourselves our character and not the behavior feeling shame and living in shame are two different things It's okay to feel shame towards the behavior because the behavior can be changed. But don't attack yourself for not recognizing, for not seeing. You're seeing now. We're opening our eyes now. Let's change now. We can't change the past. We can't do it. We can't, we don't have a time machine. We can't go back to in time and change all the shit that white people have done. No, we can't do it. But we can change the future with how we look at ourselves in the past. We need to forgive. And I know that's going to be a really tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. And I know that's definitely not a popular opinion. But white people, we need to forgive ourselves. Not forget. I don't want anyone to get that confused. I am not saying forget. Do not forget the terrible pain that we have inflicted on people of color in this country. Hell, what we did to the Native Americans, Jesus. But we need to forgive. We need to forgive our ancestors and we need to forgive ourselves. Because until that forgiveness has taken place, how can we expect ourselves to move out of shame to then act and change our behavior? We owe it to the black community. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to all people of color to change. 
God knows we need to change. And that's what this movement is about. But the way that we are going at it is not the positive change that we need. And I, again, I know that's a really tough pill for people to swallow. And I'm sorry if that offends people. I'm sorry if that hurts. If it's made you <laughs> kind of jerk in reaction. But it's the truth. People don't like to hear the truth. <laughs> people do not like to hear the truth. But we have to forgive ourselves. We have to let go of that shame. We have to do better for black people. We have to do better. And the only way we can do better is to forgive, to let go, and to change our behavior and change our society so that future black children who grow up don't have to grow up in this hateful, terrible world and society so that little children don't have to grow up from a place of fear just because of the color of their skin. We owe it to future generations. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to black people. We owe it to the Native Americans. We owe it to the Chinese, to the Japanese in this country. We owe it to the Puerto Ricans. We owe it to the Mexicans. We owe it to the Filipinos. We owe it to the Jews, the Arabs. We owe it to everyone. Now, the next thing I, I kind of wanted to touch upon is the YouTuber that I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. So I discovered this YouTuber. Her name is Sydney Black. She is a gorgeous, I mean, just stunning person inside and out. I mean, what originally caught my eye and why I clicked on the video is because she has these, she's a black woman who just by herself on her own is just fucking stunning to look at. But then she also had these piercing blue eyes in contrast with this really, really dark chocolate skin. Usually when I see black people with, um, you know, eyes of any color but dark brown or brown, um, usually they're lighter skin toned. Um, and that's usually because of genetics. There's usually um, like some sort of white gene somewhere in there. Um, whatever. <laughs> It doesn't really matter, but um, not going to lie. That's the main reason why I clicked on her video. The title of her video, the first one that I watched, is called, ready for it, Why My Eyes Are Blue, Changing Your Eye Color, Get Ready With Me. Oh, that's really funny because I'm like, oh my God, I'm like talking about how beautiful and stunning her eyes are and I can't remember what the first video was. Not my best moment. Um, yeah, she talked about it and she's like, at the beginning, she's like, frankly, I don't know why my eyes are blue. Like, I really don't. I don't know. I don't know why I have blue eyes, but I do. And stop telling me to take my contacts out. <laughs> That's another thing she was getting. She said that multiple times. She's like, jokes on you. 
My eyes are naturally blue. I can't take the contacts out because <laughs> they're not contacts. Uh, yeah. But she basically diagnosed herself with a syndrome. And I can't remember the name of it. It starts with an H. I've binged, binged her videos. And she made a comment in one of her videos, maybe it was the blue eyes one, where she was like, some people tell her that she's only pretty because she has these blue eyes. And she's like, well, if that's the case, at least I'm pretty. <laughs> you know, like, basically, that's kind of what she's saying. I'm just like, well, they're my eyes. They're real. So if that's what makes me pretty, that's what makes me pretty. So I'm pretty. So what's your point? Like, no one's going to go up to you and be like, you know, the only reason why you're pretty is because you have brown eyes. Or because your nose is slim. Like, what? How crazy does that sound? Frankly, I just think she's gorgeous just because she's very gorgeous. Like, if she had brown eyes, if she had blue eyes, if she had green eyes, it doesn't matter. Her face structure is just stunning. Um, but that's not the reason why I watch her. That was just the reason why I clicked on the first video. But that is not the reason why I continued to watch her. The reason why I continued to watch her is because she has this series on her channel, which I think she stopped doing it, but I was watching all her videos from like two years ago, a year ago, and this series was called Makeup and Mindset, where she basically puts makeup on her face and she talks about shit. She just talks about life, talks about certain topics. So like one was... Um, one, one was titled, titled, Does Everyone Need This? The Truth. And she's talking about um, booty surgery, enlarging the butt. Um, she talks about skin lightening in another one. She talks about her own plastic surgery and how she regretted it. And luckily it was only um, injections, like the silicone injections like what you do on your lips and your face and stuff like that she did it on her her jawline and her cheeks I think and she was like nah <laughs> oh fillers they're called fillers um the one that really just like I found her videos up until that point really entertaining and just like oh my gosh like she's got so many cool insights and perspectives and things like that and I love her perspectiving and I love her perspective and I love listening to her. Um, but the one that really just made me go, wait, hold up. Are you a spiritual queen too? Like on top of all of it, like, are you a spiritual queen? Because she made a video called, I lost weight using my mind, 20 pounds gone, no diet or exercise. And I like clicked on that video so fast, like... I got whiplash. <laughs> it's like, what, 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 what? Because I subscribe to a uh, streaming service network. I don't know what to call it. I guess it's a streaming service called Gaia. Um, for all my spiritual queens out there, I highly recommend. I think it's only like 10 bucks a month. Um, I get my sister's uh, Gaia password. To her account and Gaia is one of those where you can have your own profile so I do have my own profile but I also watch a lot of stuff on her profile because she's been watching Gaia for far longer than I have and so it's she's kind of like a nice base to jump off of the, the shows and stuff that she watches 
Um, but she's more into like the conspiracy theory stuff and I'm more into the spiritual stuff. Like she's very spiritual. I'm not saying she's not. She's very into the spiritual. But she also subscribes to very intense, heavy conspiracy theories. Whereas me, like I'll listen to them. Some of them make sense to me. Some of them I'll identify with and be like, yeah, that's my reality. That's my truth. Cool. And some of them I'm just like, whoa, that's that's too far-fetched. I'm going to rein it back and just stick with my spirituality. Um, because at the end of the day, I can feel my spirit and my spiritual connection. I can't necessarily feel the truth of the conspiracy theories. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit harder for me. Um, but like, no, no shade. You know, that's if conspiracy theories are your thing. Great. Cool. Love. Actually, they can be quite fun. You know, you get down this rabbit hole and the not so scary ones are actually kind of fun. Um, but anyways, so on Gaia, I had watched a docuseries called, <laughs> I'm so bad with names, clearly, Trans Transcendentalism, Trans Transcendence, something, something, something like that. I don't remember. Clearly, I'm so bad with names. Um, and one of the episodes they talked about the power behind the mind and things you can physically do. And it talked about the Iceman. If you don't know about the Iceman, I highly, highly recommend going and looking up the Iceman. Holy crap, will that blow your mind. Um, and I do practice some of his breathing techniques in my own meditational practices. And it, I have noticed a huge difference. Um, also, uh, they talked about this guy who had an accident and he was paralyzed and he decided to not do the surgery and was like, yeah, I'm going I'm going to not do the surgery because there's, there's really big chance that it won't work. And, uh, so bye. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make myself walk again. And so he would like literally sit for hours just thinking about how to realign his spine, like physically, like each, like, I don't know the terminology because I don't study anatomy, but like each of the spinal plates kind of like realigning themselves. Um, and eventually, eventually... <laughs> After weeks and weeks and weeks of doing this, he was able to walk. And then weeks later, he was able to run and basically be an athlete because he was an athlete before. Um, and then there was another man who was able to combat cancer all with his mind. He was just like he was diagnosed with cancer and he was like me in the mindset of like, why does chemo make sense? Because chemo does not make sense to me chemotherapy I mean chemotherapy does not make sense like why is it that if I have cancer the answer to curing myself is killing every cell in my body why does that make sense I don't prescribe to that I'm not I'm not gonna do it Nah, thanks doc, but no thanks. And he also felt like this tremendous pressure from his doctor to do it. Like he was, when he said no, his doctor was like shaming him and trying to like put him in a place of fear to succumb and be like, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm gonna die, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And he immediately caught on to that smart dude. 
immediately caught on to that and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you truly believe this is going to save my life? Or is it that you are going to get paid or your hospital is going to get paid a lot of money if I go through this chemo treatment? Which one is it, sir? And he thought it was the latter. He was like, yeah, I'm not convinced you really truly care about my well-being because you're trying to shame me into chemotherapy. That doesn't seem like a doctor to me. And I was like, bruh, you right. So he was like, nah, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to, to beat this on my own. And through meditation and through his mind, he was literally able to think away the cancer. Now, I don't recommend everybody who is diagnosed with cancer to go out and do this. <laughs> That's not what I recommend. However, I have heard many cases of people through my own research and discovery and things like that, of people doing smaller things like reshaping their bodies, changing their eye color, losing weight all through their mind. And I am so intrigued by this. Um, for the vanity reasons, like, of course I have my insecurities and of course when it comes to my body, I would like to change things. But as well as if I can change my physical appearance and master that, what the hell else can I do? Like how powerful truly is my mind? And for anyone who has not caught on yet, I am a brain nerd. Neuroscience is my thing. I studied neuroscience in college. I studied psychology in college. Psychology was my major. Um, loved it. Loved it. And I still do my own studying and research online today. Like I cannot get enough of all of the newest and the greatest and the and the freshest information out there. Like I'm just eating it. Just literally like I I love the brain. It's my favorite subject. I love the brain. Um, so when I saw this video, I was like, okay, two possibilities here. One, she also loves the brain and was intrigued. And that's merely it, the science behind this. Or two, she's a little bit spiritual. Because <laughs> in my personal experience, People who talk about things like this, who talk about physically changing something with your mind, tend to be a little spiritual because you kind of have to be. You kind of have to be spiritual to be able to be open to something like that because as far as our modern science, it defies all logic, right? So it's your spiritual self that kind of has to come in and be like, yo, no, you live in this universe and everything is, is possible. Anything is possible. So like, word. Um, and that's kind of been my personal experience with people. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just true. <laughs> you have to have a little bit of some sort of spiritual awakening or connection to really be able to fathom something that defies all modern science, modern logic. Uh, so yeah, so I clicked on the video and boy, howdy, 
did my little triggers go off. I was like, pew, 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 pew. I need more of this chick. I need more. I need more. I need more. She's amazing. She's awesome. She's talking about spirituality. She's talking about energy. She's talking about all these things. And like, I kind of like subconsciously noticed it in her, the earlier videos that I watched, like not her earlier videos, but like on my timeline of when I watched them earlier videos. Um, and she would like, hint at little things here and there she talk about her energy she talked about her vibration like just a, just a casual comment here or there and it kind of made me question I was like well I mean that could also just be her language because I see a lot of that online where people use that language of like instead of saying god they'll say the universe or they'll say my energy my vibration I don't ride that vibe like things like that um so it could have been that because <laughs> I see that a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean you're spiritual. Um, it just means that language is changing because I think of the spiritual movement happening right now. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'm clicking on more videos. <laughs> I cannot get enough of this chick. Oh, I love it. Um, and so I continued watching, continued watching continued watching. She's married to a Norwegian guy. He was born in South Korea, was adopted at the age of three months by a Norwegian couple, raised in Norway, met her. They got married. Their story, they hella cute, you know, support. Uh, kept watching, <laughs> kept watching, kept watching, <laughs> kept watching. I have so many. I'm just looking at my history and it's like, legit all her videos <laughs> um and then I decided to actually just like go to her channel and watch her most recent stuff because I noticed I was watching stuff from like a year ago two years ago three years ago and I was like okay this is her older stuff I want to know where she's at like right now I want to know how she's dealing with the world now because it's a shit show um, so I clicked on a video called, oh, I'm getting chills already, protecting your vibration, being an empath is hard right now, makeup, what was that called, makeup mindset or something like that, I already forgot, yeah, makeup and mindset, um, yeah, <laughs> Oh, please, if you are listening, go to your, go to your computer, go to YouTube, type in Sydney Black, protecting your vibration. Being an empath is hard right now. Type that in. Type, type that in. Click on the video and just take a gander. This woman is so spiritually woke this is an old soul, for sure. The way she carries herself, the way she speaks about others. Even before I saw this video, I thought that. I was like, this is an old soul here. You know, the way she talks to her audience and how she, her whole message is basically like, let's just be nice people. <laughs> like, let's just have some compassion right now and let's just be kind people. Like, can we not, can the internet just calm down? Can we not... Like, only kind people here, please. Like, let's be nice people. That's her whole message. Like, anything she says, she's just like, 
don't attack it. There's ways to disagree without being mean. So basically, I am in love with Sydney Black and I can't help it. <laughs> I completely adore her and I think she's amazing. But with all that being said, I think this episode is long enough. It's well over an hour and um, I'm going to wrap it up. So I hope you thoroughly enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Um, and please stay tuned for some future episodes. There are interviews coming up. Um, so yeah, with all that being said, I will catch you all in the next one. Bye.